right. Good morning, everyone. It's Tommy with District Age Strength and Fitness. Uh, we have a, a new guest on our podcast. So today I'm bringing on our newest coach, Coach Adam, who's been with us for about a month now. And what I'm slowly realizing, it was incredibly rude for me to wait this long to get him on the podcast so he can formally introduce himself. You guys all know who Adam is, especially if you've been coming into like the 5 a.m. sessions or the evening sessions, but I obviously want you guys to hear it from him in terms of what he's all about, his background, what he's passionate about, so you can get a better understanding of the of the new coach that I just injected into the community. So um, just to kick things off, Adam, tell people just a little bit where you're originally from, uh, brothers, sisters, what were you like as a kid, like all of that stuff. We'll just start with the easy softball. Yeah, easy softball, uh, definitely. Uh, I'm originally from South Jersey, so about 20, 25 minutes outside of Philadelphia. Um, born and raised there, went to school for a year in Pittsburgh, and then finished at Temple University in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, kind of bounced around job to job after I graduated uh, until I found CrossFit, which was, there was a gym about three miles from where I was living, uh, doing something completely different than CrossFit uh, at the time. Um, so just kind of randomly walked into the gym in 2009 and didn't really know what it was, had no idea in terms of like, you know, all it was to me at that point was a 1600 square foot small facility and uh, really small. Oh my goodness. Yeah, really tiny, really tiny. One of the first gyms in the area and uh, not necessarily run at all. Like it was just a couch in the middle of the gym and just like a free for all is what it seemed. Uh, but what year was this? 2009. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> very, very different. Uh, but that was my, that was my first experience with CrossFit uh, as a whole, but backtrack from that uh, mom and dad are, are still together. They're happily married for many, many years now. Uh, I have two sisters. One lives in Georgia, right on the Florida Georgia line with her boyfriend. Nice. And she's three years younger than me. And then I have one who's 10 years younger than me. She lives in Philly with her boyfriend. He's studying, He's going to get his PhD in robotic engineering in December. And I believe they're moving to San Diego ish area, uh, as come that. So my parents are kind of wondering what they did wrong, considering they have three children, all of whom no longer will live anywhere near them, <laughs> uh, moving forward. <clears throat> and they don't have any grandkids. So that, uh, that frustrates them as well, but yeah, not yet. Right. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. Uh, but from, uh, from a kid, when I was a kid, I tried to and succeeded in playing pretty much any sport that I saw, um, which was at the time I viewed as a good thing. Like I could get really, like I could get pretty good at any type of sport, but not really good at any sport whatsoever uh, because I didn't concentrate on one. Like the, the second that the season was over, I would move on to another sport. I wouldn't train for that sport like other kids were would do were doing. Uh, for me, it was soccer in the, in the fall. Uh, in the winter, it was hockey and tennis, oddly enough. And then I tried my hand at, at baseball, lacrosse. Uh, never played football, um, but anything else you could think of, I, I just tried. Uh, and my parents were just like, yeah, go for it. They never told me no. Um, they just were like, you gotta find what's yours. Uh, and my big, my big three were, were soccer, uh, tennis and hockey. And, uh, that kind of propelled me through high school and college. And, uh, to say that, like, I lived this idea of wanting to be a jock when I played sports, because I was the complete antithesis of that in the classroom 
is accurate. Like I was a nerd and I didn't have a lot of friends that were nerds because outside of school I was athletic. So it's like, I kind of fell in, in between two different worlds and I've always kind of been there. It's like, I never felt fully, never really like fully became friends with the jocks and never really fully became friends with the, with the smart kids. So I was always in between. So I've always felt that way. There's not really a place for me to be. Uh, and then when I finally found like across the gym that kind of combined like, Hey, this isn't just show up and do whatever you want, but there's, there's, uh, you know, you have to plan it out accordingly. You have to know how to train correctly for certain things and for sports versus health versus all this kind of stuff, kind of like melded my two worlds together. So it felt like a good fit. Yeah. So like when you were, when you're going to college and you're playing sports in your mind, was there any desire to take it to the next level? Or for you, was it just like, this has always been a part of my life. And I kind of like this rhythm of being involved in some sort of like organized team activity. Like, do you remember that point in your life? Oh yeah. I mean, I had no interest in making this a career. Uh, you kind of knew after college, you're like, I'll have to just find something else. Like, yeah, yeah. I love, I love pushing myself in the gym or, or on the field or on the rink or whatever it is. But I always wanted to be a writer. That was what I wanted to do since I was a kid, uh, reading a newspaper. My parents got a newspaper every day. So I would read the newspaper every day. I wanted to be, at the time, Philadelphia Inquirer was really big when I was growing up. And Stephen A. Smith, who's now on ESPN, he yeah. was a staff writer. And he wrote, like, he just got to write the coolest thing, follow the coolest, the coolest athletes. And that's what I wanted to do. So that's up until my sophomore year of college when iPads blew up and newspapers died, that was my entire career path. It was like journalism, writing, cover whatever I wanted to cover and everything like that. So um, right around the time of senior year, I was just like, all right, I gotta figure out something else to do because writing is not a possibility. And you know, I can't just be a professional athlete because I'm not good enough. Um, so I just, be, I just kind of like fell into random jobs that never really, never really interested me as much as, you know, physical fitness. Um, yeah. I didn't study kinesiology in college. I obviously studied journalism. So it was like kind of a big learning curve for me to take. I've always been the athlete. Now I have to try and be the coach um, in some aspect. So it was, it was a lot of long hours of it's not, it's like people think that you can just, it's a weekend of level one and then like, boom, you're ready to go. And it's just not like that. Then my first gym, I was the ninth coach on the, on the tier. Like there were <laughs> eight coaches ahead of me. I was, I was mopping the floor. Yep. I was like, I was like, if somebody got sick, I would jump in and coach their class. And that was it. Like that was my first introduction. And then I ran on ramp for a month and then like slowly became like a little bit more indoctrinated into the coaching staff, but uh, it was humbling. You know, yeah. but you have to learn. You can't, you're not just going to jump in after a weekend level one and be like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I think it's a very common story. Like when I was talking to Miranda is very similar where she is naturally a creative person. She loves to write. She likes to create. She just, she has a voice inside of her that she kind of wants to bring and like let, let loose into the world. But she even talked about when we did our podcast about there was this expectation going into college that you would graduate with a degree and go get that corporate job and go make the money and go live this life. And she said it was very challenging for her early on to be in kind of the same situation you're talking about, where you're like, I have a college degree, I'm a highly educated person, like, and I'm here mopping floors, coaching part-time, you know right. what I mean? Like, you get that little bit of that, 
I don't want to say it's like an ego check, but I think it, it kind of speaks to growing up, you have this expectation how life's going to turn out and then you find passion in something else. And sometimes that just means it's being in a very humble environment in terms of learning, learning the craft and the trade of coaching. You know? yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember going home and feeling more fulfilled after just coaching one class than the day of what I was doing at the time, which was uh, acquisition. So I would kind of see, we would travel and, and go to storage facilities and see if we could flip them in three year time frame based on how much money they were valued at, how much money they were making, all that fun stuff. It was super boring and very, <laughs> very, very numbers driven, but I would do that. And then I would go coach a class or just like hit a workout with a bunch of other people. It was, there was a good group there. Um, and I would feel like that, that part of my day was so much better than the other part of my day. Uh, and I was dating a woman at the time who was like, you should, you should explore that. Like she pushed me to, to be a better coach, to like think about owning my own gym and all that fun stuff. So like, if I didn't have her at the time, I probably wouldn't have gone that route because I, to me, it wasn't safe. Like it was, yeah. it was a big risk uh, to eventually do that, but it definitely was, you know, lots of blood, sweat and tears, but way more rewarding in the long run than, you know, sticking with a boring numbers driven job. Yeah, man, I, I totally know what you're saying. And so it, I think what is very unique about you as being a part of our staff is you do have the very rare experience of being a gym owner for a decade. Yeah. Um, do you want to speak to when you when inside of you did you say, hey, I, I really want to do this. I want to take the risk. And I, I'm sure you you kind of knew what you're getting yourself into. You're like, I'm going to, you know, <laughs> you know, mop the floor, sleep in the gym, do yeah. whatever needs for this place to succeed. Like, when did that feeling start happening? What year was it? Uh, 2011. I started to feel like I could do that. OK, uh, but I wasn't uh, like I thought I was in, in down the line, but I knew that I wasn't good enough at the time like programmer of workouts and like in 2011, everything's changed right now. We're in 2022. The whole landscape is a little different, but in 2011, the idea that you had to write great workouts every day was still like at the forefront of your gym. Like this is my, my entire identity is the workouts that I wrote. So, um, I didn't know enough at the time. So I kind of studied under somebody that I respected and tried to learn as much from all of the coaches that I had learned that I had like gotten to know, that were good. Like, I don't mean, you know, Joe Schmoy down the street talking like Austin Maliola who did my level one. Like I reached out to him and like, he took me under his wing, like people like that, like people that, that I knew, knew what they were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, like, what, what was the biggest thing you learned from them in terms of programming? Like, what was the biggest takeaway? Like, I know sometimes when I, when I talk to the people that I'm inspired by when it comes to programming, it's like, keep it simple. Um, be very intentional about what it is you're trying to elicit in terms of adaptation, right? Like don't be random for the sake of randomness. Right. What, what are the things that come to mind when you think of the, the biggest we took away from it? The biggest takeaway that I took from them was that like, cause you, at the time, I guess you had this idea where like every day needed to needed to like be amazing. Right. And they were just like, you can't, every day you can't crush people. Like every day they can't walk into the gym and perform this stupidly long workout that's going to leave them painful the next day like there needs to be some sort of adaptation and linear progression in terms of strength bias versus uh, you know just cardio-based workouts where it's like yes people want to feel like they did something but at the same time like 
they need to feel like there's a plan, not just like I came in and did a hero workout on Monday. And then on Tuesday, we did this other 20 minute AMRAP. And on Wednesday, we did another hero workout. And uh, like, you know, that was the idea was like, if you didn't go into the gym and, and basically kill yourself every day, like you weren't getting, you weren't doing CrossFit. And yeah. And in 2011, that, that, that kind of, that concept of like, let's slow things down. Let's just work. Let's just have a day where we work on strength. That wasn't really a thing at that point in time. Yeah. They were trying to slowly implement that. And through the years of owning my gym, um, that wasn't, it was, that was probably the hardest thing to do was to get people to understand like, Hey, this is a 16 minute email of snatching one snatch. So you're doing 16 reps total at the same weight. And I'm not asking you to add any weight and I'm not asking you to like, fail i just want you to work on form and then at the end of that session they'd be like well we didn't really like you know work hard today like well we did but <laughs> you get to feel like you can walk out of here and feel good tomorrow when you come back in and that was a big uh it was a fight for a while especially back in 2013 like 2014 when people just wanted to hit hero workouts every day well dude i think we're still fighting that battle like I, and it's not it's not anything that any particular gym is doing wrong. I think the industry as a whole has pushed towards this like heart rate monitor, sweating, like we got to be moving all hours of all days and like exercise is just an activity. And I think we're losing the intentionality of what we're trying to do with people. So I, I don't think it's like, I think it's completely understandable why you would have that conversation with clients about like, wait, I didn't feel like I did anything today because I didn't get like 40 splat points and I'm not on the ground sweating my ass off. You know? Right. Right. And I think, and I think I don't get me wrong. I love technology, but I think things like whoop are kind of creating this mindset again, where it's like, they base, they base that your, your, your score for the day on your heart rate variability. So if you come in and all you did was back squat, and I'm saying, I'm not saying all you did in terms of you didn't do a lot, but I'm saying in a terms of whoops world, all you did was strength training and you didn't spike your heart rate the next day, you might feel completely trashed body-wise because you lifted heavy central nervous system. Maybe you did deadlift, something like that, but your heart rate variability was very minimal. So it's going to tell you that your recovery was 11 when, right. you, when you didn't, when you feel like you pushed yourself and you did hard stuff. And then you can do a 30 minute AMRAP of running and like air squats. And it's going to tell, and it's going to tell you that your recovery was 98% because your heart rate changed drastically. And yeah. that can't be the only barometer we use to determine how much, how great we did in the gym and what we're doing at home to supplement our recovery. Like that cannot, it does not work. So, yeah. and that's like, so from that perspective, like technology is kind of, changing our brain's concept into like, what is a good day in the gym and what is a bad day in the gym when you can't really quantify that based on just heart rate variability. I agree with you, man. It's like, it's, I feel like every single time the industry kind of pushes in a different direction in terms of trends, what you and I are saying is like technology isn't bad. You just have to use it the right way, right? right. There has to be context around what it is that you're observing. Because to your point, if all you're observing is yeah, it, it looks like I'm not fully recovered or recovered. So that's going to dictate my action in the gym today. You may say, hey, man, like we can still make this an incredibly productive day in here. Um, you just have to know how to use that data. And most people don't, right? Like they're just, they just kind of rely on it to dictate everything about, you know, how they're going to approach their training. 
And yeah, I, I agree with you. Is there, um, going back to when you started your gym. So like, what was the name of the gym? What was the year, literally the date? I'm sure, you know, it. the door opened and going into it, what was your mindset around? Were you scared out of your mind? Were you excited? Was it a little bit of both? Like just, just bring listeners into that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so it was the official day that I opened, which took a while, um, was, uh, March 1st, 2013. And the reason it took so long was because I had a different facility that I was, I was in escrow. Everything was all set. Uh, this was in 2012 and, you know, New Jersey area didn't really know much about CrossFit. There weren't that many gyms. I filed for a, a work or for a, a use of use permit for the facility and the township denied it. And uh, I was like, okay, well, this, this is, this sends me back months and months. And uh, that stress caused me to have shingles as a 26 year old man. That's crazy. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, crazy. Yeah, that's, so, that's, that's a lot of stress. Yeah. yeah. So I was then quarantined from, for shingles for like two or three weeks uh, and then had to find a new facility and then get all that. Finally, I found one. Um, and it was the only time in my life where previous to opening the gym, I was actively trying to get fired from a job because I needed the government to subsidize like my rent because I worked for so long that if I got fired, I could file for unemployment. Uh, yeah. and I, it was the only way, the only time I've ever really worked around the system to my advantage <laughs> with that. What were, <laughs> what were you trying to do? Like, what were the, like, you just wouldn't respond to emails, not pick oh, up. It was, yeah. I mean, I just really did a bad job of my, at my job. Like I would walk in, I would walk in and like put HBO go on my computer and just sit there. Like, that's funny. It was just bad. Like it was, a terrible, terrible work ethic for about three months until they finally realized what I was doing. And the, my boss came in and he's like, Adam, you were, what's going on? I'm like, Oh, I need you to fire. Like I need, this is my plan. And he's like, <laughs> he was, he was a really, really cool, really cool guy. Really nice boss, very successful man. And he was like, all right, well, you're fired. Like he, he helped me out. And so I was able to get unemployment. So for the first five months of opening, owning the gym, I didn't make a dime from the gym. I didn't take anything from it because I was able to get that unemployment. But I, I, I knew going in that it was 16, 17, 18 hour days. There were days that I just slept in the gym. There were, you know, there were days where nobody came in like to start and uh, you know, nerve wracking, not sure if the risk was worth it, all yeah. that kind of stuff. And then people started slowly funneling it. Uh, and I ran, you know, like back in 2013, like I ran like month free, all this stuff just to get yeah. my name out there. Uh, which at the time was CrossFit Iron the Fire. And, uh, you know, that helped and more people coming in, created more people coming in and more and more and more. And, and eventually we got to a pretty good membership within a year. Um, and to the point where a buddy of mine who's a chiropractor saw all the progress they were making and he wanted to own it, open his own. So I helped him open his location, which was named the same as mine and same programming and all that kind of stuff. So things kind of took off pretty quickly after, after the first few very sleepless nights uh, or for, for the first couple months. As a, uh, you know, as a business owner, like I've kind of learned that just being in different groups of people, like different owners have different priorities in terms of how they want their business to serve them in their life. Right. Some people are more, 
technicians and coaches, like the direct impact that they want to leave is directly to the consumer. And then you have some people that are thinking maybe a little bit broader of like, Hey, I'd rather just kind of lead a team that wants to do that. And it it could take multiple forms. Like for you owning a business and and running a gym and impact, like what did you, what did you find the most joy in as a business owner when you owned a gym? It it was 10 years. And I feel like the answer is phase different phases of the, of ownership created different interests or what yeah. kind of fueled me in the beginning. It was really, I had this, and this overall thought process that like, I'm going to change people's lives. Everyone who walks in my door is going to be healthier and all this kind of stuff. And that, that propelled me for a while. And so you start to realize that like people have been coming in consistently three, four or five days a week for two years and physically haven't changed at all. And you help them with nutrition. And, and I had staff members who were certified in nutrition on top of me. And, and we would talk to them and we would get them on a nutrition program and still nothing would change. But their overall like happiness in life and like them coming for that hour meant so much to them that like I had to pivot on what 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 could I bring? Like, was I still adding value to their life just yeah. by having them in class, regardless of whether they saw a physical change or whether they felt better about how they, how they look like that hour to them was more important than all of those things, which yeah. to me, that made me, I had to think about that before, before being okay with that. Like, I'd be like, is this really the kind of thing that I want? Just, you're just here for the hour to enjoy your hour. And then you leave and then you still eat my crap or whatever have you. And you don't change. Like, so that took a couple of years for me to be okay with that. And then I became okay with, all right, like, all right, you're going to come in, you're going to enjoy your hour. You're going to learn something and then you're going to leave. And that, that's okay. Um, so that was the first couple of years. And then I started to really change more towards, I'm going to be uh, specifically working more with athletes, mainly high school and like middle school aged kids who eventually want to go to college to play a sport or, you know, want to get better for the sport in high school or want to make the varsity team or something like that. So that for a while was my main interest. And in doing that, I realized that I could create such a better relationship with somebody, even though they were young kids, it was more rewarding. And then I got to see our work on the field. It's like, or on the wrestling mat or whatever. And I would go to their games and that, at the time to me, it was just like, yeah, well, I'm working with you two, three times a week. Of course, I'm going to go to your game. But to them, like it meant so much. And so that relationship, which I didn't originally see as like as a big deal, turned into a much more important thing to me than the regular class aspect. So then I started to mold my coaching staff into like, you're going to take the majority of the classes and I'm going to work with more like the, the yeah. kid. Um which, I, which when I originally opened, if you told me that I'd want to work with kids more than adults, I would have told you you're crazy. Uh, <laughs> not, the way, not, not the way I was wired. Uh, I don't have kids. So it's like very different for me to change that. But uh, that, was, that was more rewarding in the second half of my ownership. And then unfortunately, we were closed for eight months with COVID. So everything kind of changed from there. So then after we were able to come back, it was really just like, try to make people feel as comfortable as possible in the gym. Like, okay, we might, we might've gained 50 pounds over COVID because we had so much, even though we were still programming workouts daily, people were renting equipment, all that kind of stuff. Like it's still this weird pandemic time of like, nobody knows what's happening. Nobody knows what's going to happen. 
if you're comfortable coming back in, cool. We're going to make this situation as, as seamless as possible for you to get back to working out. And that was for this, for the last couple of years of my ownership, like that was really the only thing that we were worried about. Yeah. And so the, the, do you remember the moment you made the decision to get out? Yeah. Um, July of, uh, well, originally, so originally the plan, um, like I said, that the woman who pushed me to become, to, to like own my own gym, uh, we ended up getting married for a very short amount of time, but uh, she had always told me, she's like, you need to have an, an exit plan. So my exit plan was always 10 years. It's 10 years, I'm done. Uh, it's just, it's too time consuming. I didn't have a good work-life balance. I did not know how to not be at work yeah. all the time. Um, so my buddy who was, he's my head coach for seven years. Um, he came to me in July of 2020 and said, Hey, when you're ready to leave, like, I want to buy it. Yeah. And that was the first time we were so close. And that was the first time that, uh, I started to see an exit strategy. And so for the next two years, we kind of, I kind of groomed him to, into programming every day, coaching the classes that he wasn't normally seen at so that the members weren't shocked when he was the one to be in charge. And that took about a year and a half. And it was a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with him where like, Hey, this isn't just coaching. Like there's a back of the house stuff, there's finances, there's, there's this, there's that. And then uh, once we came to an agreement on a number, it was about three months later and it happened. Nice. Looking back on that period of your life, I, I know like there's the good, there's the bad, there's the okay. And like, but like, if you had to sum up that period of your life, what it meant for you in terms of personal growth or career growth or whatever it was, how would you describe it? Just looking at that period. Uh, it, I, I learned a lot business-wise. Um, and people always ask me like, would you do it again? And I, I don't know. Uh, which to me, like when I give that answer, people are always like, well, that means no. Like, no, it doesn't mean no. It's just at 37 now, do I want to sleep in a gym again? No. <laughs> do I right. want to spend 16 hours in a gym coaching nine classes a day? No, I don't want to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. But there's other aspects. So you have to take, you can't just say like, would you do it again? And then take yourself back to opening because it's different at 26 than it was that I am now in terms of life. Uh, but I learned a lot about professional, like how, what it is to be a professional gym, just not like a side project, you know, um, uh, for the sake of like, my personal growth, I like to say that I put my personal growth on hold for 10 years because okay. I didn't pay attention to it, which is obviously not good. But, um, you know, you, you don't have the luxury of having a 401k or like PTO or vacation time. Like if I wanted to take vacation time, it was not only just me, me, myself being OK, being away from the gym, which I wasn't OK with. But then I have to find coverage for all the classes that I'm going to coach and all the people that I do PT with. And then, so that's costing me more money than just the vacation. And it was like, to me, I never saw a point in it. So I just didn't take vacation. So it's like, I didn't have a lot of personal growth over those, that time. Everything was related to the business. Like, how can I make this successful? How can I not fail? It was mainly a fear of failure that kept pushing yeah. me and pushing me to just show up every day and be there forever and go from there. So <clears throat> it was, it was rewarding, um, but you have to go in with the understanding of like, this isn't safe. 
this yes. this is this is this is going to take a lot and probably the the financial reward that you get is not going to be even comparative to the work that you're going to put in so you have to really love it like people people who get into the into owning a gym thinking that it's going to make them rich need to reevaluate why they're getting into a gym ownership I think I've said that many a time to people. They're like, guys, like, don't think that I'm just like on a stack of cash, like Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not happening in the gym business. Yeah. Um, going back to, um, I want to unpack a little bit more when you were describing that transition you made from being okay with people just wanting to be there and your transition to kids. I'm always, I'm always thinking about impact. Like when I come across really professional coaches, the reason why they get into the business is because there's this unique desire to want to make the most out of somebody like the person you're working with. How do I help you move, think and feel in a way where you are discovering new things about yourself? You're able to achieve something you didn't think was possible. Like that's like, in my mind, the very best coaches that come to mind, right? Like when I think of a professional coach. Was it hard for you to wrestle with that? Am I leaving the type of impact I truly want with people? As it was a- almost, it was almost impossible. So yeah. for me, when I became a coach, I, I became a coach because I thought I could help everyone move better. Like that yeah. was my, that was my original thought process of this is why I want to become a coach. Like I can teach you how to do a cleaner snatch or, or do a pull up, whatever, better than somebody else can. And that was my identity as a coach at a, just from a coaching level, not an ownership level for a while. And to a fault, hundred percent to a fault. I didn't ever tell anybody that they were doing well, because mm-hmm. to me, if you, if you didn't do it, how I wanted you to do it, you weren't doing it well. So I was very, very hard to please from a coaching perspective. And but what I understand about you though, is it's like, you're viewing it as I'm failing you as a coach, not you are doing something wrong. It's like the frustrations coming from, I'm trying to work my butt off to get you to let's call it virtuosity. But like, it's not like you're attacking people. You're getting frustrated with the fact that like you weren't doing, you felt like you weren't doing your very best job. 100%. 100%. I felt yeah. like I felt like there was potential in every single person and I just needed to figure out how I can best explain it for you to get to your potential that I could see. Yeah. And if I didn't do that, then I just felt like we wasted our time. Like I wasted your time, you wasted your time with me like you didn't like you could have been better off with another coach. Like that's how in my mind. So I wasn't like, yeah, that was a great session because to me it felt like I was lying to you. Like I wanted if 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 your goal, like you came to me, you're like, Adam, I really want to get a muscle up. I'm like, all right, let's do it. And then we're three months down the road and you still don't have a muscle up and we're, I'm giving you all these drills. Like I'm doing something wrong. I'm messing you up. Whereas, you know, it's, it, it's a combination of a bunch of different things, but it's not failure. It's just, I failed at the time. Like I didn't see the road to the, like the pot, like every step is a positive. Yep. I just saw like the beginning and the end and that was it. And if we didn't get to the end, then, then there was something wrong. Yes. So it, it took me a while to like, to, to be okay with, you know, positive steps. And to your point, like a positive step for somebody is just showing up. And it took me a while to be okay with that. Be like, 
okay, you're not getting any fitter. You're not seeing any physical change. Your pant size has not changed, but you are mentally happier. Like, okay, all right. And it took me maturing and growing uh, growing up because you're never going to understand that at 26, 27 years old. But when I got into my 30s, I started to understand like, okay, these people have kids. This is the hour that they get to themselves. All they want to do is just like a workout, lift some weight, get a sweat on. If I'm able to provide that to them and they feel better overall in their life, then then it's a win for both of us. That took a really long time for me to like wrap my head around. But looking at your career now and the types of impact you want to make, I mean, just an honest question. Is that enough for you? Uh, it goes, I go back and forth because if you, you asked me a question before I was even hired, it was, it was, who's your ideal client? And I have two very different aspects of who my ideal client is. One is always going to be that athletic kid who wants to succeed and a a successful session or a successful period of sessions with that person is very different than somebody else. Whereas my other ideal client is somebody who is in their forties, early forties, mid forties, maybe 50 years old has kids. Doesn't think that they can ever be in shape again. Thinks that their best days are behind them. Yeah. You know, all that kind of stuff. Those are very two, two very different like areas of, of where, who I would like to work with but both are very fulfilling to me in different ways. Like I love to see the athlete get better and get stronger and get faster and like run a faster time or like make the team or any of that stuff. Right. But, but at the same time, a 45 year old guy who didn't think that he'd be able to run around with his kids. And then two months later can run around with his kids. That's equally as rewarding to me because I made his life better. So in different ways, it's fulfilling. It just, it, 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 uh, it's not, there's no ideal because I don't, I don't have just one thing that, that brings me joy. It's just, it's honestly feeling like whatever I'm doing is genuinely making their life better. And honestly, as a, as a business owner, as a gym owner and being in this industry for as long as I've been, like, it's harder and harder to find people that want to leave that type of impact. Like, I, I feel like the industry has become more like, um, how do I entertain you for an hour? You know, like, how do we have the most banging playlist? And how do we like, you know, how do I make you sweat? And it all feels good. But like, what you're talking about is how do I, how do I even just change the way you view yourself? How do I give you enough confidence in your, in your life to where you can play with your kids and you feel capable and you know, the best years are, are actually going to be in front of you, not behind you. you right. Know? Yeah. I mean, changing that mindset for somebody is huge. And that's more of a personal training relationship versus just class based. You can absolutely change somebody's class in class scenario. It's definitely possible because that's what I would do in my own form, the gym I own, but it's easier to do on a one-on-one yeah. basis. Yeah. Uh, so I, was, I would like to say that a, a, a CrossFit coach, when we were growing up in CrossFit was you were basically a part-time DJ. And, <laughs> yeah. Know, part-time babysitter. Like sometimes, you know, you should be like, here's the workout. It's on the whiteboard. Let's go over the movements. Okay. It's a 40 minute workout. Three, two, one, go. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys want to listen to? 
And like, to me that there's, first of all, there's no point to somebody doing that. <laughs> right. What are we doing here? Yeah. Second, <laughs> like, of all, second of all, like how much, like how much are you really changing their life by just like telling them to do a 40 minute AM? So. Yeah, man. Know. Like I always, if I asked a member, Hey, what do you think of Adam? And the first thing that comes out of their mouth is he has the best playlist. Like I'd be <laughs> like, okay, we're, we might be missing something here. I mean, yeah. I, I appreciate a good playlist, you know, but at the same time, if that's what my members are recognizing, I think from the very top, there's something that I need to address, but very rarely do I get people saying like, Oh, Miranda or Robert or Adam or Layla, Morgan, whoever, like, I don't know how their coaching is, but their music's really good. Like we don't get a whole lot of that. Thank goodness. Yeah. 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 I mean, you, you take into account like, okay, I'm not going to be playing, you know, classical music, but at the same time, like that's really so far low on the totem pole of importance. Yeah. I, I want to, I want people to move better, move healthier. Like basically now in my career as a the coach, I want you to move well to a point where, regardless of how much weight I told you to put on or how much weight I told you to lift, the possibility of injury is minimal. Yeah. That's baseline number one. And then we would build on that as you move forward. But that's as long as we've accomplished that and I can get you to move well, regardless of weight, then we're, we're at a point where, okay, let's, let's, uh, you know, let's see what we can do. Yeah. I think um, one of the things I love about the team that, you know, we've all built at District H is you guys are all different. You're very different than Morgan, very different than Miranda, very different than Robert, very different than Layla, very different from me and Dustin. But we all, I think we all share the same core of we're here to improve and impact your life. And that can take many different shapes and personalities. Like I know you, when, when, when you came out here to kind of like, you know, meet with me and Dustin and us to kind of just get to know each other, you mentioned that you've been, you've been described as militaristic in your coaching style. Do you want to unpack that a little bit and just let people know of like, maybe in your mind where that is coming from, but also more importantly, why your approach is a little bit more, I'm going to tell you what to do versus I'm going to be your best friend. You know? Yeah. 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 I've always, so I'm militaristic in the way, in the, in the way that I run a class in terms of I re, if if it were if if it were just me running past exactly how I wanted to run it, everyone would be in lines, and it would you would be you'd be right behind the person in front of you. It'd be very specific. I would require you, and that's really just because if I stand in the right spot, I can see five people, and if I can see five people do the same thing, if I'm telling you to do a power clean with an empty barbell, and all five of you do it the same way, cool. But if two of you do it wrong and three of you do it right, I can see it right off the bat. Like, it's just easier for me to do it. Um, just just to pause you there real quick, because I think it's a really important point, because when I think of militaristic, I think of, like, breaking you down to the point of obedience versus organization so I can be more efficient and effective in my job. Those are two very different things. What you're describing and being militaristic or boot campus just for the sake of it. You know what I mean? Like you and I both know those instructors where it's like, I just like being in control and in power and like, you know, like some people just respond really well to it. Whereas for you, it's like, it sounds like it's more organization and effectiveness of a class versus let me beat you down into obedience. Yeah. I never viewed it as militaristic. That was yeah. just reviews from other people um, yeah. that have traveled around the country, but 
I've always just viewed it as I'm going to make you do things a certain way. And until we do those things a certain way, we're not going to move on. So I'm yeah. going to, and, I, and I, I like things to be organized. I always, in my head, I'm like, if this were being videoed, would somebody who has no context of this class understand what's going on? Or would they see the, see the video and be like, oh my God, this is chaos. Yeah. So I always view it as this needs to be organized, not only for safety, but because you're, you're paying me to do a job. And the best way I know how to do that job is for everyone to be on the same page. So that's how I've run a class. Now I'm not the type of coach that I'm not going to get in your face and yell at you, Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you if you did something wrong, I'm like, no, that was wrong. Then yeah. I'm going to tell you why it was wrong. I'm going to tell you how to fix it. But from what I've learned is if I, let's just say you were in my class and we're doing cleans or whatever, and you did a movement wrong, I'm going to tell you, Hey, like this, this part of the clean, we just need to fix up. And then you do it again. I'm not going to immediately tell you how you, what, what happened? I'm like, how did that feel? I'm going to make you think. Yeah. And then I'm going to say, okay, well, how would you fix that? And if they honestly don't know, that's fine. But if, if they want to take a guess, take a guess and we'll fix it again. And eventually they'll start to feel the difference between a good rep and a bad rep and their brains working. So now getting them onto the right track is easier than just being like, this is how you do it and showing them how to do it. Or, yeah. I just, I don't, I don't believe that like me physically showing them how to do a power clean is doing anything for them because it's not about me showing them how to do it. It's about them doing it. Right. So it's, I'm more verbal, I'm more specific in the words that I use uh, versus just demoing everything right off the bat. Um, so yeah, militaristic, I think is a bad connotation, but I view it just as, I am specific in what I want and I'm organizing how I run the class. Like that's just how I'm going to be. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like in 2012 and 2013, I probably was militaristic. I probably yeah. was towards the bad. Like I wasn't as okay with people not getting it perfect. Yeah. Uh, so we would hang out with the PVC pipe for 25 minutes when in reality they didn't need to do that. Uh, but, you know, over the years, you learn, you learn a lot about yourself and coaching and what you can expect and what you can uh, sort of, sort of require while at the same time, having somebody still enjoy taking your class. And I think like, so it's funny you say that because growing up, I had a lot of coaches in, in sports that I played that were militaristic. Like I played first base. And for the longest time, I had a really tough time scooping, like digging balls out of the out of the dirt. And I remember my coach, we probably spent two hours after practice, him just just hurling baseballs at me. And he's like, it's really very militaristic of like, you're going to get this right. And until right. you get like 10 of these in a row, we're going to stay here all night. Right. And um, I mean, I think there's this some of us who are maybe like in this generation of like, let's say late 30s, 40s, that that's just how we grew up. You know what I mean? Like that was I, I could speak to a, a lot of different experiences, but like if you don't come from an athletic background or like even organized sports or whatever it is, it could be intimidating. But what I want, what I want our listeners to know, it's like, it's coming from a place of genuine, I want you to succeed in this facility. And like, in order to do that, we do need to be disciplined about practicing intentional movement. I think, I think right. that's what, what you're saying, right? It's like, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, what I like people like now as a, as a crosser coach now, what I like people to do is, is or to walk away with, is understanding what muscles I wanted them to use 
Yeah. And then hopefully, let's just take like, because I was talking about power cleans, for example. A lot of people, especially who haven't ever, like how often are you going to power clean in your life? You know, if you haven't been in a, in a CrossFit gym or something similar. Right. They walk in and they don't know anything. And your first instinct is to use your arms. If I can just coach somebody into shrugging, like if that's all we get to, to me, that was a good day. And I'll be like, dude, that was awesome. Like way to go. Next time we do this, we're going to build on that. Like yep. to me, like that's a really good class. And that person might've just used a barbell, but we understood the difference in terms of how the movement starts, how it progresses and where it ends. Whereas 10 years ago, if you put me in that same scenario and if all, I looked at it as all I did was get you to shrug, well, yeah. that, that's, that class sucked. Like that was my fault. I did something wrong. So yeah, the, obviously your thought has to shift, but ultimately if they learn something new in class and then they can then build on that in another class, then it was not only successful for me as a coach, but it was successful for them as an athlete. And you can kind of take anybody, regardless of background. You don't have to have grown up the way we grew up in terms of like, I got pinned against the boards for 20 minutes and they're like, say, okay, get puck. Yeah. All right. <laughs> like, cool. Um, you don't have to be in that scenario to understand that like a good day is a good day, regardless of, of the outcome. Like, as long as we learn something in the middle, it was positive. Just to wrap up this part of the conversation, if there was one thing, like if, if you're speaking directly to the members that come to your classes right now, or just the community at whole, what's one thing they want to know about your approach to coaching, where the intention's coming from? Like if you were just to kind of give them your elevator pitch of why you do what you do and what you're trying to do in their life, what would it be? Elevator pitch would be, I'm going to help you move better, but I'm going to help you understand why. Okay. So I'm going to tell you, what I want you, how I want you to do it. Right. But I'm going to have a conversation with you before we do anything. So just, let's just take something like a front squat. I want your elbows to be higher. Well, I can't. Okay. Well, don't tell me you can't like, let's, let's discuss it. Like, why can't you, what's the problem? And then we're going to diagnose it together. You're going to tell me something. I'm going to tell you something. And then we're going to go, I'm going to tell you why I want it done this way. And I'm going to explain it to you in a way that makes sense to you because I've just spent five minutes understanding what are your physical limitations and how can we work around them? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to try and present information to you in a way where you kind of see the reasoning and the benefit, not just me saying, I want your elbows up higher. Right. Yeah. So you're going to learn more in my class versus, versus just physically changing like a position. And why do you think learning is important? in the process, right? Like what, what if I just push back and said, well, Adam, I don't want to freaking learn, man. I'm just, I'm here to like, just listen to your banging playlist and like, get it going. Like, why would you say I want to teach you something? Why is that important to you as a coach? Well, it's important to me because I want, well, the easy answer is I want them to walk away knowing more than when they walked in. Right. But realistically, I want them to understand their body a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I want them to, I want them to also understand the reason we're doing a is going to translate to be. And so mm -hmm. that trans the, the where I want you to be when B happens, for example, let's say on Fridays we squat clean, right? And on Mondays we used to do front squats. I want that to transition more. I want it to work its way towards that squat clean better. And this is the position that we're working on now is going to get you closer to that position that's going to be better for you down the road. 
I want you to understand that process. I don't want you to just walk in and be like, I need to do this for front squats. No, we're going to need to do this for front squats because the position I'm telling you to hold is going to benefit you down the line. So if I, if I, if I explain to them the macro point of it, like what does this trans transition to? What does this translate to? What is like something like gymnastics? Like, why are you doing dips? Okay. Well, we're doing dips because that's where you catch a muscle up. So if you have any goal of ever catching a muscle up, you need to be got good at dips. Like silly stuff that people don't don't con- connect. I want them to connect in my class. Yeah, I love that, man. So one of the questions I always talk to, I always ask Robert the things that we always discuss because we have a very proactive. We're very we we communicate a lot on our team. I think you've probably realized that in our Slack channel. Like we're constantly kind of talking and and trying to tackle a lot of different things. But we kind of schedule out a quarterly programming meeting, like kind of all hands on deck for coaches to be able to give their input and perspective of like, here's what we're trying to drive towards. Here's what I'm experiencing on the floor, and here's my feedback so we can make better tweaks to like help people. You know, keep keep making improvements. Yeah. And it's this conversation of productive volume versus entertainment, right? Like when does 50 strict handstand pushups become productive versus entertainment? When does like 30 muscle ups per time become productive versus entertainment? When does, you know, doing hero wads every day become, you know, entertainment versus productive? Like in your mind, what do you think is the most productive type of programming for the general population that's coming into our facility? What do you think is going to move the needle for them the most? Uh, are you talking about move the needle for them, like in terms of health and strength or move the needle for them in terms of them enjoying their class? That's a great question. How about let's, let's do either, or let's do both. Let's start with just general health and no, cause that's, I'm, I'm glad you made that, that um, you know, you, you, you notice that difference because you're right. It is, <laughs> we can make this thing fun as heck, but nothing's ever going to happen for you. But right. yeah, how about tackle both? Let's try yeah. that. I mean, it's yeah. almost like the same conversation of CrossFit as a sport versus CrossFit as a methodology of fitness. Hundred percent. Yeah. Two so totally different it, things. But in terms of just the best bang for their buck uh, in a gym, in in whatever gym they join, not necessarily just your page, but wherever they are in their fitness world process, um, linear strength progression is the best bang for your buck. Right. So not necessarily progressive overload, but you can include that. But I'm saying you can pick, let's just say something like a squat and a deadlift. And it doesn't necessarily have to be functional movements. Like I could, so you do bench press in there. You can do yeah. any, any strength movement that you're going to hit multiple times over the course of a week and linear progressive. So like five by five at 80%. And then the next week, five by three at 85% change, you know, change the percentage in terms of the weight so that they're consistently increasing their adaptation to it. That's going to be the best bang for your buck. Generally speaking, I'm not going to make somebody run three miles every week to increase their lung capacity because try doing a set of 15 deadlifts at your body weight and tell me that your lungs aren't improving. Um, So it's, From that perspective, I believe in that. Um, From a, from a, what we're talking about, like the CrossFit as a sport, I kind of changed it. Or more, no, I think you're saying like in terms of productivity, like 
we can make the most of the time that you have by focusing on some strength training. Strength's yeah. got to be incorporated in it. Yeah, yeah, telling people to run on a treadmill for three hours is like, what are we doing, right? But I mean, you go into a regular, you know, a, a, a retro fitness, and you're going to see the same 30 people on the elliptical every day, and it's not really helping them as much as doing strength training. When do you, so then let's go back to like, when does this become unproductive or entertainment or like just purely out of novelty, right? Like I think of the year they did like ring handstand pushups where it's like, what the hell are we doing? Right. Like, it's just That's, yeah, novelty. I like to call them circus movements. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. To me, pistols are, are an example of that. Like how often are you really going to have to do a one-legged squat in, in regular life? Never. Right. But we can, we do it in, in a competition because it's, it's, it's a cool circus trick. Yeah. Um, but in terms of a novelty, I believe that it's more of what's the intent. Like is the intent to go fast because I could have you do Diane, which is 21, 15, nine deadlifts and handstand pushups. And if you did that slow and specific to your capacity, you're going to get stronger. But as soon as you try and make it for time, the, the, all of the positives of, of strength gaining for your, for your deadlift position and for your shoulders, for the handstand pushups are kind of thrown out the window. And now we've introduced like kipping for the sake of kipping to be able to do 21 in a row when we could break it down into like three sets of seven and strict handstand pushups with breaks. And now you're getting stronger. Yeah. And now you're going to see more of an adaptation muscle wise and body wise comparative to how fast did I do that workout? Yeah. So if the intent, if the intent to go super fast is there, okay, great. But now that's completely changing the, the baseline of the, the purpose. And, yeah. and I don't understand. I used to 100% think that everything had to be done fast and like you had to win the workout and all that fun stuff. Um, but most people don't need that. They just need to move better and with, a, with, a, with less, of an, less of a thought process of, oh my God, it's 10 minute AMRAP. What place am I going to come on the whiteboard? Like, it's not important. They just move well. Just move over 10 minutes and you're going to get better. As a veteran of the industry, specifically within CrossFit, you know, do you feel like they haven't communicated enough around that, what you're specifically talking about? Like, it's just kind of like, left to its own whim when you're not in control of the story it's very easy to think of crossfit as everything is for time everything has to be shitty movement everything is for competition versus quality movement virtuosity you know like thinking really hard about how this is going to apply to your everyday life not just to win the whiteboard do you think there's been enough communication around that is that is that even their responsibility to communicate around that yeah i so um i de-affiliated before I ended up selling it um, because I no longer saw the value in the CrossFit name and a lot of my methodologies that I had started to, over the 10 years, like started to create were very different than what CrossFit was going with. Um, I don't, I don't think it's on them to, to step to like, to get that into people's heads of like, not everything's for time. Yeah, because to their own merit, they've created this idea where you can run your own business, right? You're going to pay us an X amount of dollars and we're not going to have any oversight on your gym, which is good and bad. 
It's good because you can then run your gym your way. It's bad because if you're CrossFit and Joe Schmo down the street is CrossFit and they don't come to you, but they go to him and he doesn't run his gym the same way you run your gym, which is definitely not going to happen regardless of how you're running it. They're going to have this idea of what CrossFit is and what you are is not what he is. So there's no, it's, it, it's great that you got to open a gym and, and you got to run it the way you wanted it, but it, it, you're still CrossFit and he's still CrossFit, right? So what's the difference? It's like, there needs to be some understanding of, I need, I, this is how I run my gym and this is how it should be ran. And why can't CrossFit like make some sort of baseline way to do it? And, and like, so for me, I got, that's why I got mad and I got out of the, of the world of CrossFit because my gym was run differently than somebody else's gym. And it just didn't make sense that we were, were both called the same thing when we're not the same product. Um, but I don't think, and, and CrossFit tried to do it a few years ago. They tried to separate sport and fitness. Yeah. 2018. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were so far, they were so far down the rabbit hole of other things like fighting Coca-Cola that <laughs> they, they didn't, they didn't really finish what they wanted to start. And honestly with Glassman leaving and all that stuff, like, it's kind of now everything's different, um, but I don't know what it's like to op open across a gym now. I'm not sure if if the same connotation in terms of the word is the same. Um, yeah. Or it's I'm not I'm not quite sure where people would stand with that. Like when you tell somebody who knows nothing about CrossFit, what do you think? What do you think when you hear the word? Before, like right around 2016, 2017, the first thing like I pulled my members, and the first thing like when they would tell somebody I do CrossFit, oh, that's hard. And then the second thing is, aren't you going to get hurt though? Aren't you going to uh, get hurt? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I would get hurt if I tried that, like those kind of things. And I felt like the, those answers were from gyms that didn't know what they were doing and weren't really run the same way as mine and all that good stuff. And so the idea behind we're all CrossFit didn't make sense to me anymore. Like you can't, we can't all be cross. We can't all be crossed. We can't because you're going to have some gyms that are really good and some gyms that are really bad. And those gym, bad gyms are going to give me a bad name. And I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to make up for, for their negativity. What's awesome about that though, is like, I think because CrossFit's dug their heels in so much about this, like they're not willing to somewhat evolve, so to speak. Right. They're kind of like, no, like we're going to stay in our lane is I think we're kind of going through this I'll call it like a renaissance period within fitness where you have maybe people like us or, you know, other gym owners that I know that are de-affiliating, but trying to enhance the experience or trying to take the very good from CrossFit, but say, Hey, but maybe if we just did it a little bit better or delivered it a little bit more effectively, we can actually enhance people's lives and impact more people's lives. So I'm actually kind of excited to see the next five to 10 years in terms of like what's come out of this functional fitness CrossFit ecosystem. Cause although there are the, f45s and orange theories and berries that are kind of like going that route i also think there are a lot of really good gyms that are asking harder questions and trying to really think about how do we create better outcomes for our members um i'm really excited to see that i don't i don't think there's been too many new crossfit gyms in the houston area that i'm aware of i think it's kind of been stagnant we're all kind of existing but i haven't I don't think they're opening up like crazy anymore. I'll tell right, you. Yeah. 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 That, 
that bubble's kind of burst. Yeah. But I think people are starting to realize that the ones that are still around that, you know, there's nine main movements that, we, that they do in CrossFit. They're teaching CrossFit or nine or 11, however many there is now. I feel like it always add, they always add to it. But <laughs> they're still missing the boat on movements that we could have implemented to make people healthier and stronger and better. And doesn't have to involve, it can involve, there's like, there's, there's more than just that in terms of fitness. And I didn't like feeling hamstrung by just only being able to, to teach and coach those movements. So getting out of the CrossFit world and being able to implement different things was fun again. Right. Like, like give me some examples. Like what were some of the stuff you're introducing where you're like, people are like, Adam, this isn't, this isn't a burpee. This isn't like, you know, what are we doing? Like, well, yeah, what were some I mean, of the yeah it's new, different. Like, uh, so I would slow people down with dumbbells and we would yeah. do on presses and, uh, Landmine rotations were always a fun one. It's like, like, well, we don't train obliques in CrossFit. Well, like we need obliques to balance ourselves in life. Like, right. like I golf, right? So oblique training was important to me, but CrossFit didn't do any of that. Uh, so just like changing uh, what plane we were working, right? In terms of yeah. just frontal plane to like sagittal plane and stuff like that. Is That sort of stuff was brand new to my members when I started to implement it. Um, you know, having people do more pressing from the floor and like, like, well, I, I don't, we don't have bench press and CrossFit. And now amazingly, there is more workouts with bench press in it, but like, I'm like, okay, well, you guys think at pushups and this is a great way to get better at pushups, which we yeah. do a lot in CrossFit. So let's, let's try and do more bench press. So like basic stuff and like, um, <clears throat> stuff like, uh, when I feel like now it's going towards it, but like we didn't used to do stuff like Z presses and strict presses. Wow. We did, we did push presses and we did push jerks and like split jerks, but there was no baseline strength to build the shoulder up to stabilize heavier weight. And I felt like we were always missing the boat. And like the push press is not the best way to get stronger on overhead movement. Right. I felt like that was like, that was our lowest barometer of, of, of how we were training, training our shoulders. And like, so I started doing like lateral raises and I started doing bandit stuff and um, we would like, I got a reverse hyper and I had people get on the reverse hyper all the time. Like yeah. things that, Oh, you have back pain. Like let's, let's figure that out. And heavy good mornings were one of my favorite things to, pro to program. And I don't think, I think, I don't think anybody does them enough, but yeah. heavy good mornings and strengthening your hamstring can alleviate back pain like immediately. Um, and stuff that Louis Simmons was, was, was talking about in terms of strength, like that I tried to use in my gym that 10 years ago, I would have poo pooed at because I was like drinking across the Kool-Aid. Right. No, hundred percent, man. I mean, we, a few months ago, we did a heavy RDL cycle. And I think for the first time in their life, people actually felt what their hamstrings felt like, like, yeah. they're like wait, yeah. wait a minute. Like, you mean the deadlift doesn't effectively do this? I'm like, no, completely different. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. And, and to your point, like how that alleviates a lot of other stuff going on, like low back pain and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah. very common in, in, in CrossFit, um, just to kind of move to, to a more fun part of the conversation. So like, just to kind of let people know a little bit about your personality, I'm just going to kind of spitball some random questions at you and feel free to just answer however you see fit. Um, just so people can kind of get to know you a little bit more. So dog or cat dog. Okay. And why I know you uh, have a dog at home. So who's this? I have, I have a dog at home. His name is Hobbs. He is colored like a, a tiger. Hence the name from Calvin Hobbs. 
Um, he's a Dutch Shepherd. Before that, I've had three other dogs. So I've always been a dog person, not a cat person. What's the crown jewel of New Jersey? Like in your mind, the best thing about New Jersey that you can't get anywhere else, what is beach. it? The beach, the beach. Okay. Like it's not, it's not a Florida beach. It's not a California beach. Like what's unique about Jersey beaches? That's just. Uh, the sand, the sand honestly is the cleanest sand that you'll see anywhere. Like compared to the Florida beaches, the sand is like, is, is that's the nicest. And then, um, just the, our, I, the boardwalks, I, I grew up there. So it's like special to me just to, to walk the boardwalk and everything like that. Um, and I'm not talking Atlantic city, like Atlantic city is a dump, but <laughs> ocean city where my parents have a short house there. And like, yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's, that's a really cool spot. There's Seattle, which you can go out in if you're younger in the younger crowd, stuff like that. It's just, it's a, it's a great, you're only, you're only ever an hour from a beach when you live in New Jersey, which is nice. Favorite movement to coach? Uh, snatch. I mean, no. it's always going to be snatch. What, what about the snatch do you love? I love that it requires strength, mobility, and coordination. Yeah. It's so, like the ultimate athletic movement, right? It's just exactly, like, yeah. Exactly. And I love it. So for me, I mean, it's twofold. One, if you get the really big, strong, muscular dude who comes in and I'm like, okay, well, let's snatch. It's the best way to get them to drop their ego. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Best way because it's so humbling of a movement. And so I learn a lot about you right off the bat on are you willing to, to take weight off the bar? Are you willing to suck at something before you can get better at it? And two, it for people that haven't really strength trained in the past, especially women who are genuinely afraid of the barbell most of the time. It, I think they start to realize like, Hey, this movement, is kind of fun. Like if they're taught correctly. And so when their light bulb goes off in their head of like, Oh, I can do this. And like, it's not bad. Like I'm, I'm not bad at it. And then they start to like it. That's, yeah. that's fun for me. Like I like to see when they're like, Oh, I, I just lifted 75 pounds over my head. They're like, yeah, you did. That's fantastic. Let's, let's do more. And then they, they, they kind of get addicted to that. What's the, what's the favorite movement you personally like to do? Like if you're like, Hey, if I was part of a grid team and they threw this at me, I got this. What's that movement? Anything gymnastics based. Like I okay. could muscle ups would probably be my bread and butter and on a grid team. Like I could do 30 of them on broke. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> That's incredible. What's um favorite part about Houston so far? You've only been here a month, but like, what's something you really enjoy about Houston so far? I just love how many different places there are to eat. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. We, we have no shortage of good food now. No shortage of good food. Yeah. And where I live in the Heights, it's like I can walk onto White Oak and then there's a good whiskey bar. There's a good place to watch the Astros game. And like, there's a good uh, Vietnamese place that I went to. Like, like it's like literally a half mile from where I live. I could just walk and get seven different types of food, six different bars, and be totally fine. And what's awesome about that is there's also no shortage of unhealthy people. So you'll have <laughs> job security too. Um, yeah, that yeah. usually comes with good food. Um, what would be one other place in the United States you'd want to live and why? Like, what's kind of the dream location for you? Scottsdale, Arizona. Okay. And any uh, particular reason why? I know. Well, you're, I, so, <laughs> yeah. I have, I have Raynaud's, um, which my hands and feet 
really can't deal with cold weather. So uh, warm climate is a necessity. Uh, but uh, Scottsdale was always, when I was living in, in Philadelphia area, Scottsdale was always a dream because of all of the golf courses. <laughs> yeah, 100%. What's, what's your biggest pet peeve? Let's start as a coach and then we'll just, as a human in general, <laughs> as a coach, biggest pet peeve. Uh, as a coach, biggest pet peeve, uh, unfortunately, because I have to coach 5 a.m. sometimes, it's people showing up late. <laughs> I think so. unfortunately because 5 a.m people are tend to be a few minutes late yeah yeah it's um it's one of those things where it's like i know you guys are trying your hardest to show up at five but understand that adam woke up at four for you guys to show up at five you know yeah. so there's a little bit of mutual respect there that i always like to try to remind them of what about just as a human in general biggest bad piece uh when when people when you're talking to i'm not going to say this is only a female thing but males too you're having a conversation with somebody and the sentence out of their mouth is well like i was like kind of like it means the word <laughs> like every other <laughs> word like why do you need to say that word every single every other word? it doesn't make sense to me just please stop <laughs> that's so awesome i could see you i could see like I could see you being on dates and just being like, all right, this is game over. Best car you've ever owned ever in your life. I know you're, you're, you're trying to sell your Ford Raptor, which is badass. I love that truck, but best car you ever owned, your favorite. Uh, I would have to say my first car that I ever bought it was like a used, it was a used Ford Mustang. Um, but I bought it at 17 years old. I was 16 and a half. I was refereeing since I was 12 soccer to afford that so like that was such a big momentous occasion to me that that will always be the most important car to me did you drive it into the ground basically i was stopped at a red light and a guy fell asleep and hit me doing 70 oh so just totaled it totaled it yeah. oh man <laughs> and then i got a jeep grand charity uh after that last question biggest biggest accomplishment as a coach in your mind, the most memorable time where you felt like you actually reached self-actualization as a professional coach, what was that moment? Uh, from, from a coach, not an owner perspective, but from a, just a coach perspective, coach, yeah. probably when, uh, when Kelly, I used to coach Kelly Baker uh, okay. when she went to the games on a team and I was part of that journey. Uh, and then the next two years, we went to regionals, her, her as my athlete, me as her coach. And, you know, we, we got to, we got to be backstage and watch Katrin, who was at the time the fittest human being, fittest female in the world warm up and like just seeing how Ben and hers interaction and what their, what their time frame was from 40 minutes before the workout to when the workout started. Like we learned so much just from that particular what I did. Kelly was busy. Uh, Matt Fraser was back there. I got to, I got to just kind of bump shoulders with a lot of the people that I had, that I had kind of been watching from afar, but never gotten to know. Um, and one of the first year that Kelly and I went to regionals together, she came in sixth, and that was when they took five. Oh man, <laughs> super! She got super close to the games her first year as an individual. So that was that was incredibly rewarding. I felt like all of the work she put in really came to fruition, and so close yet so far. Uh, 
but it was a lot of work. Nice, man. Awesome, dude. Well, thanks for uh, jumping on the podcast today and jamming with me. Obviously, like, um, good, good amount of information. Hopefully, all the members out there get to know Adam a little bit more and just hopefully understand that the guy's got a wealth of knowledge. He has an amazing background. He's been in the trenches. He's coached a lot of people. He's definitely can help you move better uh, in your life. So, um, definitely tap into his knowledge base a little bit more whenever you're in his class. Anything you want to say to wrap this up, Adam? No, I had a great time. Thank you very much for your time. Awesome. All right, Dave. I'll see you. Later, guys. Enjoy. Sure.